afternoon, everybody. It is 50 and sunny on a February afternoon. <laughs> and welcome into the Highland Talk. It is Friday, two days away from the Super Bowl. Sam Kinches, my friend Mitch Wolf. Mitch, we had a bit of a pivot on what we we're going to talk about today. We were originally going to discuss collegiate sports, but we saw the madness of yesterday between the NFL honors and the NBA trade line. We had to scrap the entire thing because, like, so much the process just down the line and i'm psyched to get into this how are you doing nonetheless uh i'm great you know i love warm weather i kind of get i have a bit of undiagnosed seasonal seasonal depression i have to probably get checked out but that's no one's business here i hate the cold uh 61 degrees in new brunswick today i love this weather a bit breezy but like good breezy like what you want for like springtime i hope we're like ushering more towards the springness but it's supposed to snow on sunday so like we're not loving that uh, let the record show punks tiny phil did see his shadow we will there will be there will not be an early spring for the record yeah i mean nice this weekend snow sunday low on monday and back up starting tuesday wednesday next week here so we're in a good spot uh as sam mentioned the chaos that was that was the nba trend deadline the nfl honors that came out and a lot of controversies within that we just want to dive right into it. And Sam, we're going to start with the NFL honors. I want to touch for a second on Keegan-Michael Kay. I love when they bring in people to host. Personally, like I'm a big Steve Hart. He's hilarious. I'm a personally a big Steve Harvey fan from in terms of his content, his character, his style, and his messages. But Keegan-Michael Kay was fun. Hold back. He did not. 30, and it, I loved it. My favorite was the line about Urban Meyer. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, so obviously... I love that they choose, like, to celebrate, like, if you can't laugh for yourself, then you're not proud of it. I find that rings true. Like, the NFL is celebrating itself by, like, laughing at it. But, like, like how bad the... I think the NFL is messed up in its own right, but, like, the fact that it gets sort of laugh at itself is sort of, like, it's good comedic relief for all of us. Yeah, I know, and it's fun that we have people and, like, that we have celebrities like Keegan Michael K that we can bring in to come talk about our league. It's not like we have to bring in Peyton Manning every year to do this. Uh, it's enjoyable, right? We like seeing people who are passionate about football, ready to come talk about football. And can you yeah. did that? Uh, Sam, let's go top to bottom here. Let's start with the MVP award. Aaron Rodgers won MVP, his fourth time, second of all time right now behind Peyton Manning. What's his legacy long-term? His legacy long-term, Rodgers' first came on after he won the MVP is like he's going to make a decision about his future soon. Given the MVP, the MVP was not even what everybody wanted to talk about. They want to talk about where is he going to be next year. He said he's probably going to make a decision soon. So expect news about that coming out. But Rogers' legacy long-term, I mean, you talked, you touched upon it. Four regular season MVPs, only one behind Peyton Manning. I mean, that is an impressive resume for, for a guy that's only won, I believe, one, one, two, one, two Super Bowls in his lifetime. I mean, Aaron Rodgers at one. And Aaron Rodgers, I believe, is one of just the most – one of the most – in terms of talent, one of the best talented quarterbacks we've ever seen. Just pure talent in throwing the football. Like he can make throws that no one else can. He turns he just, he will he will throw up a prayer and somehow it'll work out. He's just shown time and time again that he's just one of the most talented quarterbacks we have ever seen. And the fact that the Packers had that luxury to go from him, incredible. Hats off to him for winning his fourth MVP. But the Mitch, to be completely honest. I think this sort of caught people by surprise. Uh, you know, I can understand why I caught people by surprise. 
just, I, I forgot how many votes there were overall. I want to say 50, right? That makes sense. 50 votes. Rogers got 39, Brady 10, Cup 1. And I'm a bit annoyed in the fact that Tom Brady did not get the get the MVP on the end to end off to send off his career. But understandably, Rogers had a better season, was the best player on the best team in football in the regular season, at least, right? Packers finished number one overall seed in the NFC in the NFC and overall in terms of tiebreakers over the tight ends. And Mitch, if I may ask a follow-up, you mentioned like the MVP being given to the best person on the best team. Given that the award went to Rogers, even though Brady was better in almost every statistical category, what do you think this says about the narrative of how we define most viable, specifically within the NFL? Right. And to me, and I brought this up on our Monday show when we were discussing previewing these awards and why I picked Cooper Cup as my MVP. And I'm like, if he can't win it, it's not going to be a receiver ever. And the odds of an offensive non-quarterback winning it is slim to none ever, right? It's been 10 years since we've seen a non-quarterback win the MVP award. Adrian Peterson, 2012, eight yards away from breaking Eric Dickerson's single season rush record off an ACL tear. But we really look at the teams who are the best and whose quarterbacks, again, had the Bucks been the one seat, absolutely Brady wins this award. I really think though, we're going to keep seeing this trend of, oh, Best touchdown interception ratio, regardless of how they're doing pass attempt perceptions. How'd their team do? Where would their team be without there? But again, frankly, the Brady has weapons versus Rogers has weapons. We saw who performed better. Come on. Right. And Rogers had a down year by his standards. His stats were worse than last year. That could be attributed to him not playing as many games, but still, like, he didn't have as good of a year that he did last year. Yeah. But obviously, you can't, it's hard to peak at that age, but we've seen Brady do it. Rogers. Assuming he wants to stick around the league, regardless if that's in Green Bay or elsewhere, will be around for a while. If he doesn't, he could retire right now, be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Him and Shailene can go right off into the sunset. Not on her career, but his. Yeah. All right. Our next award was Offensive Player of the Year. And uh, Mitch, I know you want this guy to be the MVP, but Cooper Cup would name the Offensive Player of the Year. Triple crown winner, first time since Steve Smith. I mean, he broke almost every receiving record. He was just an absolute monster, and he's been keeping it going all throughout the playoffs. And, I mean, what do you make it? I mean, we both believe this was the right choice, but what do you overall make of this selection? I think this was the right choice. There's only one other person who really had any consideration here, and that was Jonathan Taylor of the Indianapolis Colts. But, frankly, Cup had a better season, separated more from the pack. And, frankly, when I look at these types of awards, we talk about – What's your value? Like, and we talk about how we divine MVP. What's your value over the next guy? The advantage cup of Cooper Cup this season, right? We can talk fantasy all day long, but the percentage that he was better than the next receiver in football, regardless of who that next receiver is, Devontae Adams, Jamar Chase, Jefferson, whoever you're going to name, was significantly higher than anyone else at any other offensive position. And to that point, he won a triple crown. That's only the fourth time in NFL history that that's happened. First time in 16 years since Steve Smith did in 05. And Jerry Rice had one. I forgot what the fourth one was. But there's there aren't that many. He cemented his status, if not the best if the best receiver in football this year, the best offensive player in football this year, likely the top receiver we're talking next year, if not top one, top three, top five. Like guaranteed Matt Stafford him of a great rapport and we get to see him perform one more time this Sunday and I'm really excited for it 
Yeah, no, no surprises there. Moving on to our Cooper Cup of the season for the ages. Definitely one that will go down the record books. Speaking of record books, moving on to our defensive player of the year. TJ Watt was voted the defensive player of the year after breaking this Michael Strahan, tying Michael Strahan's single season sack record. Absolute tear, 22.5 and a half sacks for TJ Watt. Mitch, I believe I also think they got this one right. There were a lot of amazing defensive performances this season, but this one just was on a whole nother level than everyone else. Yeah, I think this was a pretty evident one right away. Like he tore up, was unstoppable. If he's not the best defense, like the best pass rusher from Aaron Donald, right? We have a couple other names up there. His brother, what his brother went healthy, the Watts, Robert Quinn, his brother, the Bosa's, Robert Quinn, among others. This was warranted, right? There was no one else who was going to win this. If, if he broke it, it was guaranteed. If, if he broke it, there was a shot he had MVP votes, honestly. But I couldn't yeah. be happier for TJ Watt. Steelers are good at finding those types of guys, especially later in the first round. The steel curtain lives on and moving on. Next, we have our offensive rookie of the year. This was an award that had a less, you could argue there was a little more debate to be made for every candidate. But nonetheless, Jamar Chase made his case for the award and ran away with it. He is the offensive rookie of the year. Mitch, do you think they got this one right? Absolutely. No, the one thing they got wrong was this wasn't unanimous. I don't think there was a question who was the best rookie this year on the offensive side of the ball or the defensive side of the ball, right? I'm assuming, like, even if Mac Jones or Waddle or someone else got votes, why? This isn't like baseball. You don't get, like, incentives for down ballot voting. And Mitch, this is a stacked rookie class. I mean, this could be one of the better rookie classes we've seen all, especially with the receiver depth. Like, where do you see the future of this class going? Again, we talk about it in every class. There are a handful of classes over the years that have come back. The 2014 class looking OBJ, Mike Evans, Sammy Watkins for a bit, among others. Looking more recently towards the 2020 class, right? Jefferson, Ruggs, obviously not involved here. Judy Lamb among others, but I think this one can be better than most of the ones we've seen in recent years. Look, Chase obviously is a beast. Waddle broke the reception record for rookies. And if Chase wasn't playing, he likely would have been the offensive rookie of the year. Not to mention Kyle Pitts is a beast. Devonta Smith is another great up-and-coming receiver. We don't know what's going to happen with Bateman or Kadarius Tony long-term. Not to mention a bunch of others who are involved here. And like the quarterbacks obviously was like big this year, but they weren't, they didn't perform well running back wise. Shout out Elijah Mitchell, Najee, both beasts. And then Kyle Pitts, right? Kyle Pitts was a receiver, probably gets a bit more volume. Did not have enough touchdowns, but again, shout out to Jamar Chase hats off. One of the best rookie seasons we've seen in a while. And we get to see him compete on Saturday, on Sunday night as well. Very happy about that. Going to be something to watch. Moving on, defensive player, the defensive rookie of the year, our first unanimous winner, Micah Parsons, in dramatic fashion, is the unanimous defensive rookie of the year. I mean, this is a guy who was getting consideration for defensive player of the year, and we talk, we rave about Micah Parsons on this show. And Mitch, like, what is what more is there to say about how incredible the talent Micah Parsons is? You know, if there wasn't a TJ Watt tying the sales season sack record, he might have had a consideration. He had a decent consideration for defensive player of the year. The best player in this draft class won at 12 to the Dallas Cowboys. Again, How? falling into their laps. How? How Why is this? this? It's not like they've been drafting so well. Through the year. Again, you look at like situations where they fall. 
linemen, I'm looking at Zach, Zach Martin is the one that comes to mind, right? Dak Prescott around four in 2016. Among Tony Pollard. We can't, we can't stop people were giving them these gems. <laughs> Again, I don't believe in position. I, I don't think positional value really has as much weight as it used to. Obviously, there's still some positions that carry more than others. But don't be afraid to make the unpopular pick. Moving on to comeback player of the year, Joe Burrow winning the award over Dak Prescott. Two were pretty much neck and neck in votes. Joe Burrow yeah, coming also. out with the coming out with the award. There are arguments made on both sides, but we can agree that Joe Burrow has taken America by storm this season. And Joe Burrow's story coming from an ACL tear to not being an upgrade offensive line to now being the face the face of the Bengals and maybe the next face of the NFL going forward. What do you like? What is the impact that Joe of Joe Burrow winning this award? I mean, for shout out to Joe Burrow because ACL tears are not an easy injury from personal experience. I can talk on that. To be able to come back and do what he did was very impressive. We have not seen many quarterbacks come back that the year after and do that. And right, he took the lead by storm that we talked about this last earlier in the week. Bengals did for agency, right? They drafted right. Their approach is different, but it worked. And Joe Burrow's elite. There's nothing else to say. He deserved it. Again, whatever comeback you want to make, this dude took a team, had won eight games in his eight games in the previous two years has won 13, including the playoffs, and has a shot to get their first Lombardi ever to Sunday night. And it's impressive to watch. I'm ecstatic for Burrow. And, yeah, I think that was the right pick. All right, Sam, let's talk to Coach of the Year for a second. And I actually called this one last uh, on Monday when we were uh, doing it. Mike Vrabel, the Tennessee Titans, what do you make of this, and do you think this one was right? I think it was definitely well-deserved. Part of me wished Rich Bisaccia got more votes and recognition for the work he did in Vegas. But I do think this is well-deserved. I believe the Titans had over Mitch. It wasn't like 90 players playing this season. There was like a, a record of players played in a game. Play players use the season, and the amount of injuries that the Titans endured to still get the number one seed—that is a coaching job seen by very few. Hats off to Mike Vrabel. He has very much established himself as one of the premier coaches in the NFL. This is a very well-deserved award, and I'm very happy for him. Absolutely, had a top five defense, top five offense, losing his best weapon, Derrick Henry, down year for his quarterback. Ryan Tannehill, not to mention that A.J. Brown and Julio Jones could not stay on the field at all. Defensively, Simmons, Landry, and Dupree all had over eight sacks. Best defensive front in football. Hats off to him. Obviously, unfortunately, could not get done in the playoffs, but hey, that's life. All right, assistant coach of the year, Sam. Dan Quinn, what do you think about this one? I really think you could have gone either way, him or Kellen Moore, for this award. But looking where the Dallas Cowboys defense was last year compared to this year, I really do think this was kind of a, I guess you could say a no-brainer. Dallas statistically was one of the worst defenses in NFL history last year. But Dan Quinn came in and very much tightened them up. They became an above-average unit this season. And they have core pieces that are really going to help them move forward as a very balanced team. You know, and also shout out to the Cowboys for no one wanting their coordinators as coaches because they get to keep both Kellen Moore and Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn, very rare. And Dan Quinn's best two defensive players, right? Like the best two players on the defense were people who elevated their game. One was a rookie and Micah Parsons. So that's part of the year. And all pro corner Trayvon Diggs. As much as he was the worst cover corner in football, had an 11 pick season for the first time in, I don't even remember how long. But when you have guys who are making plays, Demarcus Lawrence, Randy Gregory, to a lesser extent, Leonard Vander Esch, Keanu Neal, like you have these guys who are making plays for you and work well in your scheme. 
You take advantage of that and you exploit it and shout out to Dan Quinn. Our final award, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful awards, the Walter Payton Man of the Year, which is given to Andrew Whitworth of the Los Angeles of the LA Rams. Congratulations to him. There should never be a debate with this award. Everyone nominated for this award deserves a recognition for the work they do off the field. It is incredible the NFL really honors community service and activism at, above all else. It is a beautiful thing to see. And congratulations to Andrew, Andrew Whitworth on competing for a Super Bowl this week and also winning a very prestigious award. Good for him. You know, Andrew Whitworth is a good dude. I, I'm, hap- I'm very happy people win awards because you get to like, Obviously, we talk a lot about about what these players do on the field, but off the field, we don't focus it as as much. And a lot of them do really great charity work and use their platforms for good. So shout out to Andrew Whitworth. One of the players on the Lions, I believe his last name was Perkins, DeAndre Perkins, maybe? Does that sound right, Sam? I could be wrong. Came up after the play week seven, just started running like he had known Andrew Whitworth his whole life. Up to him. And they were talking about it. And he came up, he's like, Andrew was like, do I know you? He's like, Andrew, you may not know me, but when you were playing with the Bengals, I was one of the kids in the Boys and Girls Club. You sat down, you, you talked to me, you hung out with me, you, 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 we, talked, we, we, made life, we had life conversations, schoolwork, other stuff. I just want to let you know, Andrew, that I made it. And I think that's, that's- interesting because a lot of us, especially these athletes, don't necessarily, when you interact with a lot of underprivileged youth and just in terms of quantity of people, you don't really remember a lot of it. And to see that impact that you could have on someone is truly amazing. So shout out to him. Okay. All right. That'll do it for our NFL honors segment. Coming up next, we will get down to all the NBA trade action, a lot to cover. We will have another guest on. Stay tuned with us in a bit. All right. All right. Now we're going to be back. All right. Let's do it. All right, now we're back with our NBA trade deadline segment. Shout out to Jeremy Brand Spiegel, big Sixers fan, big basketball fan, coming on to talk to us today. Jeremy, how you doing? And welcome to Hawk. Uh, doing pretty good, guys. Thanks for having me. Honored to be here. Thank you. Thank you for joining us, Jeremy. So what we got here, we're gonna break down some of the big trades specifically from yesterday. I would like, and we'd like you to give us your personal grades how each team was impacted by these trades. Let's waste no time with it. Our first trade, Jeremy, as a Sixer fan, I know you're going to be happy with this one. Let's our first bombshell of a trade, James Harden and Paul Nelsap to the Philadelphia 76ers. And the Sixers giving up Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, unprotected 2022 first-round pick, and a 2027 first-round pick. Jeremy, how do you, what do you grade this trade for both the Sixers and the Nets? Okay, so I think that it's a good trade for both sides. Honestly, I think it's a pretty standard win-win trade. I'd give both teams, honestly, an A-. minus For the uh, Sixers, you're getting a superstar in James Harden. Um, Needed that guy alongside Joe Embiid. He's having an MVP-level season, and the Sixers want to win it all this year. And James Harden really gives them that opportunity. And what they traded away, you're talking about Ben Simmons. He was never going to play here in Philadelphia ever again. And the other assets that you gave away, two first-round picks, which really don't matter. It's a 2022 unprotected pick, which is going to be in the late round, um, end of the first round. Uh, Don't really get good players there. And then Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, very good players, uh, good contributors. But when you look at it in the magnitude of the trade, one's a backup center. And then Seth Curry, he wasn't going to have much of an impact once James Harden came. And for the Nets, obviously, James Harden didn't want to be here. 
they're having a down year with Kyrie unable to play at home games, KD injured. So you get like a young superstar in Ben Simmons, get a few draft um, capital, and then you just hope that you can kind of recoup what some of what you lost when you traded for James Harden. Yeah, and Jeremy, you mentioned like the depth that the Sixers gave up. They were able to keep their rumors like the T-Stiebel, you know, he's Max, Tobias Harris, rumored to be in the deal. They got to keep all three of those guys. So they all kept, they were able to make this deal, but keep a lot of their core role players in order to make a deep run. So that's definitely something to look out for. Moving Absolutely, into our, and that's huge. Yeah, 100%. So our next trade is one that was a little bit more low-key, but still very, very impactful. Derek White. San Antonio Spurs dealing Derek White to the Boston Celtics for Josh Richardson, Romeo Langford, and a top four protected first rounder. What do we think of this? So I really like this trade for the Boston Celtics. Uh, they've been stuck in, you know, the middle of the Eastern Conference for a few years now. Um, obviously, they have a great duo with uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, but they have not really been able to get all the way. Um, Derek White, he's a good player, good defender, and the Boston Celtics actually have a very good defense this year, and they've been on fire lately. I'm pretty sure they've won six in a row, so he's going to add to that, give them a bench guard off um, uh, coming in to play some minutes. He'll give them good defense, and for the Spurs, you know, they're going towards a rebuild. They have an all-star in DeJounte Murray, but not much around him, so for this, they get Josh Richardson, who's a solid player, but the main thing I think they're getting back is the picks, and they just need to stack up on those as they try to rebrand their team. 100%. I'm definitely with you on that. I've been always, I've been a huge fan of Derek White, and it's a great, just a great play for the Celtics. And also to dump Josh Richardson, huge salary. He's a big salary cap for that team. So that's definitely something to look out for. So let's move on to a bit more of a low-key trade, something that's less on the radar. Goran Dragic is dealt to the San Antonio Spurs from the Toronto Raptors, along with a 2022 protected first-round pick for Thaddeus Young, Drew Eubanks, and a second-round pick. And Drogic is expected to be bought out. This trade may not have any impact, but in terms of how Drogic is going to pan out, where do you see this trade going out? I'm going to let this go out for both of you guys. Where do you guys think this trade pans out? Uh, I'll go first. Uh, so for me, I give the Spurs an A for this. Thad Young and Drew Eubanks were not really playing with the Spurs, and they're expected to buy Drogic out if it's not been bought out yet, but that'll be coming shortly. That first round pick still has value regardless of how the Raptors finish. So I give them an A for this. They rent, they were, they took advantage of a situation that they did not have much in on the Toronto side of things. Thad Young should at least give them a bit of a small ball five. Eubanks is under contract for very minimal money. So it helps in that department. And frankly, in terms of the picks, Messiah Jerry has been very good with finding players late in the first round, early in the second round. So for that like 15, 20 spot drop that, that this trade is going to wind up being, I give them a B, I think. Obviously, they weren't using Drogic and the first-round pick stings, but they made the most of the situation. Jeremy, what do you got? Uh, I agree with everything that Mitch said. Um, it's really about the picks um, and trying to just move the salaries around for the Raptors. Um, obviously, if that is young, as Mitch noted, he's going to help them. You know, they're in playoff contention. They're in a playoff spot. They definitely have talent. Uh, Pascal Siakam, Scotty Barnes, um, and it's something that you want to capitalize on. And if you can get a player that you feel that will help you make a run, you always take that. And of course, for the Spurs, they got rid of a player that didn't really have any part of their future with them, and they got a pick back. Once again, just trying to add to that. And then, of course, yeah, they're going to buy out Goran Dragic and move on from that. Yeah, more and more of a low-key trade. Very interesting to see how Dragic will go on the buyout market. Seems like the Lakers are definitely going to be monitoring that. The Nets will definitely be in play for don't know if they'll make the deal, but a lot of teams to navigate the buyout market. And 
We talked about the Celtics once again to another Celtics trade. Ennis Schroeder and Ennis Freedom Cantor were dealt to the and Bruno Fernando to the Houston Rockets to bring back Daniel Tice. I mean, Dennis Schroeder was a guy that had been linked to a lot of different teams, and we really didn't know entirely what the market was for him. Did you guys think this was the right deal in terms of dumping Schroeder's salary? Um, so I didn't really like this move for either teams. Um, the Houston Rockets, I mean, they're bottom of the league. They're not competing. And Dennis Schroeder, he's not a young player. Um, so I don't really see the value in them getting him at this point in time. As for the Boston Celtics, I mean, he wasn't really working out there. They wanted to dump his salary. And then they did get Derek White, except bringing Daniel Tice back. You know, he had been on the Boston Celtics previously. Um, I think that they could have pursued something better. And honestly, I would have tried to just keep him if you couldn't find anything better and just keep as much talent on the roster as possible. So I think for both sides, I'm going to give it like a D for both. Mitch, what do you got? You know, I agree with Jeremy on most of this. Obviously, for the Celtics, I think their main goal in this trade was getting under the luxury tax threshold because they like they had no choice to move Schroeder. If it wasn't Schroeder, they're going to have to move either Marcus Smart or Jalen Brown. Those would have been much harder deals to facilitate. Uh, obviously, bringing Dan- Daniel Tice back breeds some familiarity with that team. Not to mention, kind of funny tidbit, he was traded by the Celtics one minute before the deadline last year and was brought back a minute before the deadline this year. So that was... Kind of funny to see. I don't really love this trade for either side. Celtics now have five open roster spots. Is the plan that you're going to go basically re-sign the guys to minimum contracts that you just traded to buy out? Like, you don't play with that many open roster spots without making another move. So I'm intrigued what their buyout market strategy is going to be. Isaiah Thomas is one name that has been linked to the Celtics. Absolutely. That would be kind of fun to watch. But – Interesting deal on both sides. Now, I'm a, let's get into one of the more, not necessarily in terms of player, the sheer craziness of this deal. We have a four-team deal. All right, you guys are going to have to try to keep track, so bear with me. The Kings, tra- the, the Bucks trade Dante DiVincenzo, Trey Lyles, and Josh Jackson to the Sacramento Kings, while the Bucks receive Sergi Baca, a future second-round pick, and cash from the, from, the clip, from the Clippers. The Clippers receive Ronnie Hood and Samay Ojale, and the and the Detroit Pistons get Marvin Bagley from the Sacramento Kings. There's no one that really stands out for me personally. This is a trade that's kind of great. What do you guys make of this trade in terms of the teams involved and what are the implications of it? So I think there was a lot of moving parts here, right? We knew the Kings were trying, we knew the Bucks were trying to get rid of DiVincenzo for a while. Now they tried to trade him last offseason for Bogdanovich, obviously, that tampering there got that shut down by the league. And Trey Lyle, I, and I think Sergio Bach was a good fit back, right? We talked about it during the Crystal Ball episode a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about that division, the Central, that they were looking for another big man. So I think that winds up working out well, and they get some cash relief. On the King side of things, they finally got Dante Vincenzo, who could be a piece there. Trey Lyles and Josh Jackson were a bit of throw-ins, but can also potentially be scouted out there. Uh, good job by the, by the Pistons for taking a chance on Marvin Bagley, I think. There are a team that could take a chance on a player like that. Restrictive free agency coming up. Washed out in his first location. His Marvin Bagley's dad's probably the biggest winner in this because his son doesn't play for the Kings anymore. But and then the Clippers side, Rodney Hood and Semi Ojale were more fill-ins for next year as they're not trying to contend this year. Jeremy, what do you got? Yeah, I want to echo what Mitch said. Um, obviously, a lot of moving parts. Um, I think uh, it's a pretty good deal for all the teams involved. 
Um, for the Bucks, obviously, like Mitch said, you're getting another big. Uh, Brooke Lopez hasn't been able to really play this year between injuries and COVID, and they've definitely been at a loss with that, especially on the defensive side. So getting a player like Serge Ibaka to just play down low, that's definitely going to help them. And then I do really like this move by the Pistons to get Marvin Bagley. He was a high draft pick a couple years ago, hasn't really panned out. I still, I still do think that there is still some potential there, and he's going to a team that is obviously rebuilding and he's definitely going to be able to get a chance and an opportunity. So maybe um, he'll become something there. And if so, that is a great buy low move for them. And then for the Kings, obviously you're getting Dante DiVincenzo uh, battling some injuries. Wasn't really a big piece on the bucks anymore. So for the Kings, you're just trying to be kind of relevant, trying to make that playing game, maybe a playoff spot. So anybody that they can get that will help them this season for it. I think it's a win. For sure. I think this, Serge Ibaka acquisition by the Bucs is, well, is more of a – is such a positive move and will be such more of an impact than people realize. That's just my opinion. But we'll get into that later. We got two trades left to analyze. The Horn – this next trade, the Charlotte Hornets finally get the center. Mason Plumlee, you can rejoice. You can you can ride the bench. Montrez Harrell traded to the Charlotte Hornets from the Washington Wizards. Reverting Carey Jr. and Ish Smith. And so the Hornets finally got their center, but Montrez Harrell, the answer. What's this the right trade for the Charlotte Hornets? Honestly, Sam, I don't know if those are the right trade. Obviously, this was their position of need that they need to address, right? I never really think of Harrell as a starting center, right? He's always been more of a six-man who plays 25 minutes a night historically. I think it was a good move, but what was their other – like, Miles Turner wasn't available. They didn't get Sabonis. Grant wasn't coming. There weren't that many options of who they could have got to fill that role. So it's a slight consolation prize for me. Probably like a B grade, right? You did what you had to do, but you're not satisfied with the move. Uh, I agree with that. I, de- I definitely don't think like Montrezl Harrell is the best player that they could have gotten. However, considering what they gave up, they really didn't give up that much for him. And I think he is a solid player. He plays with a lot of energy. He hustles. He gets under other players' skin. And I think that kind of fits the mold that the Charlotte Hornets have. They have a lot of like scrappy, energetic players. So I think he really does fit that energy model. And I think he will fit in there. Are there better options? For sure. But I think he definitely fits the mentality that they have there. And I think moving forward, he could make a big difference for them. Charlotte is definitely one of my sleeper teams to maybe surprise some teams in the playoff. I love what they're building there. And they could, they really needed some inside a guy that can really command the paint. And Montrose Harrell, like we said, is more of a spacer. He can do a lot more out. He can handle the ball sometimes. He's not really much of an interior threat in terms of defense. It's not something that they were able to address. But nonetheless, I do, like you said, Jeremy, like in terms of what they gave up, I think this is good value nonetheless. So let's get into our final trade. I think this is a trade that took everybody by surprise. Chris Stapps Porzingis on the move again, traded from the Dallas Mavericks with a second-round pick to the Washington Wizards. For Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans, I was shocked by this trade, guys. I don't know about you in terms of the people involved, the teams involved, and and Luca himself was very shocked by the trade itself. What do you guys make of this trade for both sides, and what are the implications for the future as there is a lot to talk about? Um, I was also very caught off by this trade, did not see it coming, was very confused when it did come out. I think for the Mavericks, so Christoph Porzingis, he's injured a lot, and I think that it just reached a point where they didn't want to deal with that anymore. 
I also think that you have a young superstar in Luka Doncic and they continue to be like middle of the pack, bottom of the West. And I think that they want to make any kind of move possible to try and elevate themselves to contender status. Was this the right move? I don't really think so. Spencer Dinwiddie, not, he's going to get some minutes there, but I don't even think he's going to start. They got Luka and Jalen Brunson, who's having a solid year. Um, but I think they're hoping for a bench score. Davis Bertans, if he can rebound to the guy that the Wizards gave that big contract to, he is a good shooter. Um, so I think that there's a little bit of upside for both teams, especially Washington. If Chris Porzingis can stay healthy, he's a very good player. But definitely a bit of a head-scratcher here. And one more question I want to toss out. What does this mean for Bradley Beal? Um, I think – oh, you good, Mitch? Um, I think for Bradley Beal, I think this is also kind of a move just in any attempt to keep him happy and maybe want to stay in Washington. He didn't sign the extension. He's going to be a free agent, and I think he's going to want to look at his options very closely. I know that he does like Washington, and he may choose to stay. So I think that this move gives him another opportunity to explore. I know he's not playing this year, but it's another like intriguing thing that Washington's trying to present him for any chance of staying. And and I think it's a smart move, honestly, by Washington to try and keep their prize superstar. Mitch, what do you got? You know, I think I agree with Jeremy on this. I think Washington made a really good move because Dinwiddie and Beal, when Beal was playing, were not really playing well together. So this was an opportunity to take on a more talent, a talented asset, albeit a, distre- a distressed one, not to mention Tom- Tomas Bryant's a free agent, but like will be resigned. Kyle Kuzma still there. Denny Avidja, among others, Daniel Gafford, right? They have a lot of options, but as Jeremy said, I think this is a great selling point for Bradley Bill if he wants to stay because Bradley Bill's had ample opportunities to leave. Trade, signed extensions, never wanted discussion extension or trade. It'll be interesting to see where this goes. I was shocked by this, but I think the Wizards took advantage of a poor situation. I don't know what was going through their mind in Dallas, but in terms of the Wizards' concern, Porzingis couldn't play well with Luka, who's a better player than Beal. So... A bit concerned there, but overall, I think Washington wins this trade by a landslide. Yeah, for sure. And I'm just confused because now the Mavs have a logjam at guards. That was not a position they needed to address. And then they signed Dorian Finney-Smith to a huge extension. And now they're very much depleted in terms of their, their forward and center depth. And now they have Brunson, Luka, and Spencer Dinwiddie. And Spencer Dinwiddie does provide them with that secondary ball handler to give Luka rest, which I think is a great thing for Matt Dallas to have. But I didn't think it was an immediate need. And now they sort of have another hole they want to fill. So unless they plan on maybe moving Brunson to the small forward, which I doubt they'll do, and unless they really having spent really embracing that six-man role, I'm sort of confused by this deal. I thought Brunson was going to be moved right after this because Brunson's probably going to leave in free agency, and I'm surprised they're going to maybe let him walk for nothing. Okay, guys, we break down every trade. Who are the winners? Who are the losers? Each, I want each of you to name one winner and one loser from this deadline. There is a lot that happened and a lot of results. Jeremy, I want to start with you. Who are your winners? Who are your losers? So I definitely think my 76ers are a clear winner here. They got a superstar in James Harden. Um, And for a loser, I'm going to echo what you just said. The Dallas Mavericks did not really make a lot of sense for them. They have a log jam at guard. I don't really see what direction they're trying to go in. So definitely a loser for me. Mitch? Uh, Yeah, I agree with Jeremy. Definitely Sixers, big winner here. Held out on on a Ben Simmons trade to get the best possible asset they could have with James Harden. I don't think they were getting a better player in any trade market. And for a loser, I'm going to go with the teams in the East that are sitting comfortable right now. I didn't make a move, right? The Miami Heat could be active in the buyout market. Chicago Bulls specifically. 
how long are you going to, are you, you could have, there are plenty of upgrades, Jeremy Grant, among others, right? They, they chose not to make a move. That's a big risk to take. Obviously, Cleveland made a smaller move of Levert, but Milwaukee upgraded. Philly, major upgrade. Toronto made a move or two. Boston made some moves. The Nets made a move. Charlotte made moves. The only other team really in here is Atlanta, but they're the 10th seed right now. Indiana and Washington made moves. Washington, maybe the Knicks didn't make a move. That was surprising to me. Uh, but my biggest surprise of the deadline, Sam, I got the Kings trading for Sabonis, right? <coughs> Sacrificing whatever for likely a loss in the plan. Didn't love that move. Understood why they did it, but it was the most surprising one for me. So my winner is something that I echoed during one of the trades we talked about. The winner of, one of the winners of this deadline is the Milwaukee Bucks. Serge Ibaka is exactly what the Bucks need. If interior defender that can just command the paint, it's something they've been lacking without Brook Lopez, and he can space the floor a bit. And he has playoff experience. He's a veteran guy. It's exactly what the Bucks need as they go into the last stretch of the regular season. And even come playoff time, he can prove to be a real impact player off their bench. It gives Bobby Portis a rest, who's been playing very well for them. And when they get Brook Lopez back, they have they, I really think they really they have their depth figured out. That is still figured out very well. They really have good depth at every position now. And for my loser, I feel like I'd be pretty in the quiet. I wouldn't say the Portland Trailblazers are the biggest losers of this trade deadline. They absolutely went fire sale. And I really, unless Mitch and I talked, unless I think they're going to go all in on this next offseason and hopefully maybe make a move in the draft, I really think the pace, I don't see any reason for Damian Lord to stick around. So, right, the pace, I don't think they got enough value back for the guys they gave up. So I really think the Blazers are the losers. So, Jeremy, Mitch already gave his surprise. Who? What was your biggest surprise of the deadline? Definitely that the Knicks stayed quiet. Um, I really expected the Knicks to try and sell a lot of their pieces. They have not expe- um, exceeded expectations this year. They've not even met them. They have been a disappointment. And they held on to a lot of players that I felt that they could have and should have tried to trade for anything. Julius Randle, Evan Fournier. Um, you traded for Cam Reddish, gave away a first-round pick hasn't really been playing the whole thing's just a mess so if I was them I would have tried to go a little bit of a rebuild try to continue to build around RJ and try to just reset it a bit but they stayed quiet um and that was pretty surprising so make sure you told us my surprise is that Jeremy Grant stayed put he's a free agent after next season he's been proven he's a very he's a very style player 20 for 20 point per game score can really fill out a hole on a lot of contending teams and I'm surprised when you mentioned the Bulls I'm surprised we're in play for him I'm surprised the Bulls especially I was surprised they didn't make a move but there are a lot of teams linked to him now to make a move I think if Joe Ingles didn't get hurt the Utah Jazz would have ended up with Jeremy Grant would have put them over the top but nonetheless it's just surprising to me to see that Jeremy Grant is staying put he was one of the hottest names of the trade deadline but it's very surprising to me That'll do it for our NBA trade deadline segment. Thank you to Jeremy for joining us. We had a lot to cover. We're excited for the next half of the season. Jeremy, looking forward to having you on next time. Have a good weekend. Thank you, you guys. You too. All right, Mitch, time to get on to our favorite segment. It is time for the Hawk of the Day. All right, Sam, you go first. (laughs) I have two Hawks, essentially. One, Magic Twitter. The Magic, I believe, made like one small trade, and they got cash considerations. They post on their Twitter, welcome to the Orlando Magic, cash considerations. I love it when a team can laugh at their acquisitions. That is just so funny. And my other hawk, how the heck is Devin Hester not in the Football Hall of Fame? Someone tell me why he didn't make it. The dude is the best, probably arguably one of the best kick returners of all time. The best kick returner of all time. He just, 
he's towards the league, and I'm shocked that the NFL did not honor his legacy. I really think he gets. I really think he's going to get a next time no brainer. But I'm shocked that he did not make it this time. Shame right. on the NFL. All right, and my hawk of the day is leave the two minute drills for the football players, not for your schoolwork. <laughs> you know. As much as two minute drills are exciting, you shouldn't be leaving five assignments till the due date, especially when it's a short Friday. So I had two quizzes, an assignment, a test. I were to take one more quiz to do after this. Don't push your work off, kids. Do your work earlier in the week so you can enjoy your weekends. That will be it for us today on the Highland Talk. We hope you enjoyed our NFL honors recap, our trade deadline review, and our guests we brought in. We'll be having more guests in the future. If you want to come on, please DM me or Sam, and we will see if we can have make it work. For all of us here, I'm Mitch Wolf. I am Sam Kinches. And well, thank we you for listening to Highland Talk. Tune in next Monday. We will have a Super Bowl recap and an off-season preview for the NFL. Stay, stick around. Have a good weekend. Reminder, calories don't count. Have a good weekend, everybody. And we Signing will see off. you next time on the Highland Talk.